Following is a question and answer session with the yoga students, part two, by His Holiness Jayapataka Swami Maharaj on September 5th, 2007, at New Panihadi Dam in Atlanta, Georgia, USA. What's your name? My name is Avi. Avi. I don't know if that's Spanish, Avi. Avi is a... Or is it Sanskrit? Uh, yeah, it's short for Avaram. Avaram. Mm-hmm. So Avaram. Rama is... Uh, Rama is, uh, is the energy, one of the energies of Krishna, of uh, Vishnu. Rama. Avaram. Avaram. My question is... Uh, I, I, I'd be interested in hearing you talk about the relationship between the Guru and his disciple and the role you play in your, uh, those who you initiate in their lives. Well, there are some, there are some preliminary stages also. So even before one gets initiated, they may take uh, one as a shiksha guru or as a teacher and get some uh, regular advice on how to uh, advance gradually. Then if one wants to take initiation in the future, they could be aspiring to take shelter and initiation. And that means that making it, that when we have various teachers, various shiksha gurus, but one obviously has, uh, one has one diksha guru or one initiator. So even before you're initiated, you may be already focusing on one person as a future initiator. And then, you, then, even in that stage, there's a lot of interaction. Depends on uh, the person, like uh, this morning, I, I, about eight students sent me uh, emails wishing me a happy uh, Janmastami, the birthday of Krishna, and Happy Vyasa Puja, some from London, some from Australia, some from the Middle East and India. So, knowing through internet, we're always constantly giving some advice and some help like that. Although I extensively travel, so I have a lot of personal interviews with people, personal. But when one actually takes uh, the initiation, so before we, there are some groups that give initiation very easily. We want people to, first of all, before initiation, there's a stage we call shelter or ashraya, where one does more or less everything like he was or she was initiated, but they haven't taken any vow. It's, it's not a formal commitment, it's more of an informal trial, like a dress rehearsal, a trial period. So we want people to already experience the spiritual force, the, the spiritual advancement, the reciprocation. And if they see that that they can, they like the process, that it works for them, so then, so it's not like, okay, someone takes initiation, takes initiation kind of on a sentiment, and then 
later they don't want to do it because for us it's a serious commitment. So before initiation we let people practice this uh, one year, two years, as long as they want. Some people, yesterday there was a couple that took initiation. You were there for the initiation ceremony. They had actually taken shelter ten years ago. Normally it's one to three years people take and but they they were they they admitted to me that they were very much uh, occupied in their business. They had a business and they had a lot of overheads and so that uh, they weren't able they didn't feel ready to take the commitment of initiation, although they had been sheltered but they were very much connected. So as uh, from a year ago we started start and focusing on a little bit that why are you taking so long? <laughs> and then what was the problem? So then we started working on some of the problems and some of the things. And, but uh, usually we let it up to the individual. It's always up to them when they want to go up one step after another. So when they decide, so they decide, no, we want to take initiation, we're fully ready now. I mean, as ready as we're ever going to be. Obviously, we're not fully ready, but uh, more than less. So then they took yeses. So what happens is then I'm a, I take the responsibility to get them to my guru, back to Krishna. They take the responsibility to follow my instructions that are... I mean, it's not a blind thing. Obviously, I can't say something that's just off the wall. I can't say something that's against the scripture. There has to be something reasonable. And... Uh, but if it's something reasonable, good for their spiritual life, then they'll try to follow it. And, but basically that they'll chant every day a certain number of rounds and that they'll be that holistic lifestyle. So they, uh, their parents were also devotees, initiated by me, and, but they took their time. So now they take initiation, I'll see what the children do, they're already also in their early, late teens, early twenties. If you have three generations, they'll be great. They may not always take from me, they may take from any other guru, but, so, that I take this commitment and then if they have some major problem they're facing, they also get a lot of support from the local uh, senior devotees. But if they have some serious crossroads that, are, that they're at, and they need, then they should consult with me. I should, the major decisions I should be a part of. I don't necessarily have to be part of all the, my decisions, but uh, they keep me informed what's happening. So, that kind of a, a commitment that whatever they do after taking initiation, if they do some things which are, say, very much uh, bad karmic activities, then I would have to take that reactions for that. I would have to also bear a certain responsibility because I've introduced them into the spiritual succession and they've uh, now I'm connected where there's a connection, a heart to heart connection. So then I also would be somewhat responsible different uh, that's why we also have a, we try to check the people out beforehand see that they're able to practice so we had an interview the day before yesterday and discussed everything it seems that they'll be able to do everything no problem it's a bit of a risk but it's part of love we take a risk to help people also, there's good disciples who do everything very nicely and help other people to be spiritual, then we would also gain a share of that. So maybe 
Let me balance out a little bit. Is that, I don't know if that answered, I probably could go much deeper into it, but that's like a basic. Yeah, who had his hands first? What's your name? My name is Wesley. Wesley, S, S again, S is uh, Iswara, also name of Krishna, like Louis, S, Wes. <laughs> My question is, we're, we're very much ingrained with the mindset, particularly in America and Europe, that meat is a tasty product that comes in a colorful package at the store, and we're very separated from the idea of suffering, the spirituality of the animals, the health benefits. At the same time, we have a very individuality, individualistic mindset and a to-each-his-own sort of attitude. So, my question is, without, without crossing people's boundaries, is there a way to, to get through to people that, that doesn't challenge you know, their, their worldview? As I said, I'm the minister for the uh, congregational development. I would say a large percentage of our congregation are not yet fully vegetarian, although something we highly promote. But uh, people do take their time at it. We don't stop them from chanting. Uh, but we hope that by the association, they would be able to gradually develop a higher pace. And then we organize small group uh, kind of... Uh, sessions where people discuss aspects of spiritual life, sometimes in small groups when they kind of discuss things a little more threadbare, then it's also, you come to this conclusion that beginning uh, really isn't uh, good for them. Actually, one cannot get too spiritually advanced as long as you're eating meat because of the violence uh, that's involved in the meat eating. It does uh, affect our spiritual perspective. I heard an interesting story somebody told me uh, just a month or two ago that there was some very avant-garde restaurant tour in New York and he had a special dinner for the really rich and uh, influential people $1,000 a plate for a special rabbit dinner hair dinner. So Maybe 200 people signed up for this and uh, came there. So then this uh, restaurateur brought out two rabbits, two different colors, one was white, one was brown. And he went around and said that, okay, you know, touch the rabbit, heal it. So which one do you want us to kill? <laughs> so you can eat it. So when people actually confronted it, here's the little bunny, and he's like so nice. They're going to kill it for me to eat. And 80% of them said, forget it, no one. <laughs> and 20% they said, okay, we want this one. So then, he brought out a chopping board with a knife and said, okay, you kill the Arabic yourself and we'll cook it. <laughs> and when they were actually saying that they had to take that chopping knife or whatever it was and kill the rabbit, and the other 20% of the other. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So this way he more or less almost converted everyone to a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> he got a thousand dollars each <laughs> to do it. <laughs> Two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was interested to hear that. <laughs> I know that, like in South Africa, we have a big festival in uh, Easter weekend, and uh, there we have uh, Ratiatra and a big uh, fairgrounds and with exhibitions. One of the exhibitions is they have a cow in a camp, and they bring them there to the city. Because many people, now people are more urbanized. I mean, how many people, maybe 90% of the people live in cities. Very few people live in the country anymore. Used to be like uh, 50 years ago, it was 60-40, but now it's like much different. So people don't know what a, even a cow looks like, what a calf looks So they had the children go and touch the cow, touch the calf. And then, you know, then there was a natural question, you know, after seeing how peaceful the cow was, how gentle the cow and the cat, you know, would you want to have this animal killed so you could eat it? You know, most of the people would say no. It's, um, they, they, they know that, you know, it's just saying, it's a big smiling cow face at some burger, you know, restaurant, they have, like the happy cow, what the happy, that you actually see, see the, there's a movie, you can get them from YouTube or some, uh, there's some uh, movies of what actually goes on in these slaughterhouses. We normally don't show those just because it's so gross, it's so horrible that uh, we don't really want to have to go to that level to, to affect people. But uh, what they actually, the, the, the pain and the, and the way that these animals, the way that they're shocked and cut and all the things, I mean, most people, it's like, it's very barbaric that we have to eat animals. There's no really need to eat animals today because we have enough fruits and vegetables shipped in from all over the country. We have, you know, enough protein and nuts and soya. And you know, even if you're vegan and if you're uh, a lacto-vegetarian, then there's some milk products have enough fat and the animal fat and uh, cheese and things. That's another thing we're talking is that. I was discussing here with one devotee, uh, he's a friend that has a German who settled down here with his wife and has a 200 acre farm that in the future, just like they have organic milk and organic, but organic milk doesn't mean they don't mistreat the cows, it just means that they don't feed them all the antibiotics and things. But we should have a Hinsa milk where they actually treat the cows nice, they don't slaughter the cows and they let them uh, live their natural life in that then people might uh, be willing, that's one of the main arguments for being a vegan, is because eventually they slaughter the cows, that we can have a hinsa milk. Like in Mayapur, we don't sell our cows, we have cows and it's all natural, and uh, we go every morning and see the cows and feed them something, and there are about 200 cows there. It's very, uh, they're very wonderful people. I was actually, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, in India they use the bulls for plowing. So when I was, I, I was in, since 1970, I've been in India. So one time uh, I wanted to try out what it's like to plow with the bull. So I was behind and there's no ropes. It's not like horses, you have stirrups. For the bull, there's no ropes. You just give voice commands. 
So it was a new experience and they told me the voice commands which were in the local language. Uh, like when you wanted the bull to turn, it said gore, 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 and the bull would turn, the two bulls would turn around. When uh, they were getting too close to the plow, you tell one of them to move their feet away, it said pa, 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 for pada, I guess is a, a local language for foot. They'd move their feet away, and uh, when you wanted them to go left, you'd say ba, 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 when you wanted to go right, you'd say da, da, da. Somehow the, the animals were just responding with, well, whatever voice command. You could see that they were actually people. They knew that, they could understand what you were saying, they could react accordingly. And, um, but then the, let's, so the human being should actually protect the animals. If we're really in starvation, that's another thing, but we're not in starvation now. There's enough food around the world. Because of all the animals that are being slaughtered, there's so much war going on, so many people having violent deaths, maybe car accidents or Iraq or whatever. So, uh, there's really no need at the present time to eat meat. And the people really could face that why, why they're causing suffering to some animal when it's not necessary. You know, the Chinese uh, in Taiwan, they have all this... Uh, you know, imitation meat made from different kinds of soya and beans. They have these imitation hamburgers and hot dogs and veal and it's so realistic that you know, too much for me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's all vegetarian. So if someone even just had a craving for that kind of a taste, they can they're pretty much able to duplicate it with a vegetable product. Just for our tongue, we're going to kill some other entity. It's life or death. It's another thing. There's a story about once uh, one there was a huge drought, and one uh, rishi was kind of a, a yogi was caught in the desert, and, and then he was just about to die, and he came across, and there was a dog, and the dog died in front of him. So then he ate the dog and somehow survived again out of the desert. But after that, he can, the dog was already dead; just died in front of him. So. He ate the meat just to survive. So this life and death are some examples like that. The one, but like in America, you can get anything. That's anyway, you don't get a, even a vegetable that's that set more, probably 1,300 miles or something. <laughs> Everything is shipped from somewhere, unless you have a local friend that has a farm. But how to actually present that to people? That. As I said, maybe you have to do some creativity like that restaurateur. Usually a lot of it is just that people eat prasadam. They get such a higher taste. They like prasadam so much. Then they, I have people come to me in India and say, if I could eat like this every day, I'd be a vegetarian. But my wife doesn't know how to cook like this, so I eat meat. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, uh, cookbooks are a very uh, important weapon. <laughs> In Los Angeles, there's a lady, she cooks uh, vegetarian meatloaf. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So they can't, they do catering. A lot of people in California like uh, vegetarian catering. I have a disciple in, uh, in uh, Germany, in uh, Munich, who's, who does catering for uh, kindergartens. And they all uh, want uh, vegetarian because they're afraid that maybe they've had cow disease or some different kind of... It. Even though they're not normally vegetarian, but they know that the catering 
who knows what meat they're using, whether it's good meat or not, so they prefer vegetarian fish. So there's not that issue of all these diseases that come in meat. Oh, my question was... What was your name? Chris. Chris. Everyone's got Chris. <laughs> Chris is also like short for crystal. In, in Bengal, they call, they call, uh, they call uh, Krishna as crystal. Although in Spanish, they call Christ as crystal. But in Bengal, they call Krishna as crystal. Are you a Hare crystal? And that makes sense. Chris. Well, my question was, if the Mahara Mantra is the most potent for this time period, and you spend all the time that you have during your day chanting that, what, when, what, what opportunities, what situations call for other mantras, for other mantras, or when you know to use another mantra besides the Mahara? And we say we usually we're recommending people chant uh, if they come up to eventually come up to 16 rounds, which is takes uh, seven and a half minutes per round, so 16 would be two hours. And if you're experienced chanter, you can chant also in about six minute rounds. You want to still be able to have a quality chant. You want to hear your chanting. You want to feel the chanting. But with like seven and a half minutes would be like. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. It's actually, but you can also get a good card something, I'll say six minutes, it'll probably be something I'm estimating. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Which also quite clear, you can concentrate. So, but some people can even chant faster than that. Let's say somewhere on that race is two hours a day. You have another 22 hours <laughs> to do whatever, you know, just six hours for sleep and a couple hours for eating and you got eight hours for working and you got, so you have time for other things. It's not that uh, we hope you do a, use a lot of the time in, uh, or all the time in yoga connected uh, activities, but it's not something that's not sustainable. It's a, it's a sustainable uh, yesterday I gave two devotees Gayatri Mantra after they get the Hare Krishna Mantra by initiation you saw that it's like we gave a secret mantra also this mantra is chanted mentally this helps to control the mind and it also gives one a, a spiritual boost but in order to chant the mantra effectively usually it's good if someone's already chanting Hare Krishna for a year or more and that way then the secret mantra they'll have enough control of their mind that they can actually mentally chant it. The seven different mantras we give, each one they chant ten times, so it's about seventy mantras, three times a day, two hundred and ten mantras. In fact now it's between now and one pretty soon now it's my time for my next secret mantra chanting session. Three times a day, so between twelve and two we usually chant. So usually people, if they get the Hare Krishna mantra by initiation, then we also give them the Gayatri mantra, which also uh, gives them uh, ability to perform uh, this uh, like fire sacrifices and to use uh, certain uh, Bija mantras, which are special seed mantras that can open up the consciousness in different uh, ways. Uh, they can they can chant various uh, mantras. Uh, 
to Krishna through these bijas, through these seed mantras. But others, other like when we do kirtan, we also chant Hare Krishna, we chant uh, Hari Hari Namo Krishna Janubai Namo. There's different other chants that are also okay for kirtans. But uh, for japa, we usually chant Hare Krishna. Even when we do the kirtan, the loud chanting, we usually chant namely Hare Krishna, but there are some other, depends on the day, like like uh, today is the Guru's appearance, so there will be a lot of Jai Guru Dev, Guru Dev and Prabhupada. Or when it's Radharani, 15 days from now, there will be the energy of Krishna's appearance, the supreme pleasure potency, the supreme energy. So that day everybody chants her name, Radha Radha, but otherwise they're chanting Hare Krishna. Hare is addressing Radha and Krishna is addressing Krishna. We do like in ceremonies. Yesterday we chanted uh, there's the Purusha Sukta, there's the Vishnu Sahasranam. They do this more ceremoniously. The thousand names of Vishnu. But they say one name of Krishna is three thousand names of Vishnu. So as a regular practice, it's not economical with our time to chant the thousand names of Vishnu. Or just by chanting Hare Krishna Mahamantra, we'll be chanting 48 thousand names of Vishnu, by one Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. But uh, we do on ceremonious days, we do chant these other mantras and other, and those who get the Gayatri, they chant every day. You have Gayatri, right? Huh? As far as regular practice, in the beginning, when you chant two hours and you're sitting around at the beginning, and you have kind of free time throughout the day, whether you're on a bus or you're walking from somewhere to somewhere. You can chant more. Yeah, just continue chanting. And, and throughout all that time, just to do Hare Krishna mantra, I mean, there's not... Every, every 108 mantras, we chant a Lord Chaitanya mantra, just to again, you know, connect us to create that special link with Lord Chaitanya, because so when we chant Hare Krishna, if we commit some offenses, if we do something wrong, maybe we won't get the full effect. But if we chant Lord Chaitanya's name, then he tends to smooth those things over and we get a more, a more a greater effect from chanting. I met one yogi in India who was chanting uh, 26 years Hare Krishna. But he said he wasn't getting a taste. So then I asked him, you know, do you chant uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's names? He said, no, because Hare Krishna is kind of a universal chant. Now the Hare Krishnas are not the only ones who chant Hare Krishna. Many yoga groups, many people use Hare Krishna because it's mentioned in the Vedas. Some chant Hare Ram first, some chant Hare Krishna first. But this person was doing some with some yoga school, but he doesn't, didn't know Lord Chaitanya's mantra. So in spite of chanting Hare Krishna, a lot of times, for 26 years, he wasn't getting that kind of spiritual bliss. So then I gave him that, I wrote down from the Chaitanya Mantra and said, chant this first, and then tell me how you feel. After three months I came back there, this person came running and dived at my feet and grabbed my feet and said, you know, Guru Dave, what mantra you gave me. Now when I'm chanting Hare Krishna, I'm feeling so much bliss, I'm feeling so much happiness. Before I wasn't feeling that much. So this Panchatatra is a kind of a special trademark, secret that we have, that it actually works. Even people that are not necessarily initiated by us, it works for everybody. This person was one of the proofs of that. 
So would you say that Channing can be yeah, do that first a few times and then Hare Krishna. And after each round? Well, that's good, yeah. Do. Because I travel around a lot, so that's why I can be regulated perfectly. So when I'm in the temple, like in my upper every morning, I sit down with a lot of devotees and we all chant together. Then sometimes I go on my japa walk, I do a walk and chant while walking, which is also allowed with, with the Hare Krishna mantra. But when I'm traveling, maybe uh, I'm also chanting that we're waiting in the immigration line somewhere, sometimes there's a huge queue. I was in Lima, Peru for 45 minutes, there was 500 people there in the queue before me, so I was sitting there chanting and uh, chanted maybe about uh, six, seven rounds. So, kind of use all the time we can. Many days to chant more rounds than uh, 16 because of circumstances. Nothing else to do, so we use this time we have for chanting, or riding in the train, or waiting in the queue for the visa or whatever for the immigration. So trying to use uh, whenever possible. We're not doing something else. Keep our mind more spiritualized. We can directly link up. We connect, connect to the mantra, and then that helps to keep us very much uh, spiritually balanced and focused. And But at least we do a minimum that we count, and then beyond that, it's no problem doing more. Sometimes people have trouble doing the 16, and they on the Kadasi, which is the 11th day in the lunar cycle, it's a special day for spiritual, uh, you get a hundred times the spiritual credit if you do anything that day. So on that day, they're like a marathon. Who could do as many rounds as you can? I mean, not like a race, but just do as many as you can. So people would get up at 3 in the morning and they were chanting all day and some people did like 200 rounds and 160 rounds and they were like really buzzing. They was like... <laughs> <laughs> they never thought, you know, after that 16 rounds it came like, no problem. Sometimes so maybe tricks like that help. You're just struggling. You know, once you kind of get over the sonic bear or some kind of a <laughs> barrier then it becomes very easy. I remember years ago I did 64 rounds on this yesterday that was Janmastami. But they did so many I, mean, I was surprised myself. I don't think I ever did that many. 200 rounds and that's like a... <laughs> they took the day off and just spent the whole day chanting. And that's amazing. They said they felt a lot of energy from that. Okay? Hari Om Tat Sat 